Hey folks, what's up Cabbage Patch? It's your boy Zach, and Rory's here too. We couldn't release an episode today, there's some scheduling stuff that we're sorting through right now, but we didn't want to leave y'all hanging, so we decided to pick a choice delicious episode from our bonus feed on our Patreon. If you like this episode, if you like what we do, maybe consider supporting us on Patreon. There'll be a link in the description. We're joined by the wonderful guest, Christina Khan, this episode, who just did her big 420 episode on the restricted section, so go over there and give them some love. What's up, potheads? It's me, your host, Christina. Listen to the restricted section and drink in those sweet, sweet bong rips. Happy 420, my friendly stoners. This episode does not have anything to do with 420, but I still thought it was important to put that out there. So without further ado, uh, please enjoy this choice selection from our bonus content where we review The Golden Compass. We will see you all in the next episode. Stay leafy. (laughs) That movie sucked. I kind of liked it. Movie Night Crew Network. The Earth King has invited you to Lake Laogai. No, God! No, God, please, no! No! Unacceptable. How dare you! My eyes! My eyes! You were the chosen one! No! <laughs> Revenge! Welcome all to another bonus episode of There Is No Pod Embossing Say from my cabbages and avatar podcast so what are we talking about this month fame we're talking we're talking about a movie that i saw as a as a teen as a young teen a young tween boy uh i was very 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 excited i saw it uh, a week before it released in theaters whoa i saw it like that there was like a pre-screening that you could just straight up like sign up for at my movie theater and I signed up and they were like, all right, here's your link to purchase tickets. And I was like, shit, this is awesome. That's extremely so I, cool. I was, oh was, man, we have someone crashing into this podcast. Uh, we totally forgot to welcome our guests. <laughs> and whatever, they know who I am. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please do not feel like you do not need introducing. Uh, we're just so comfortable talking to you as a person because right. we love you, but you just fit in so naturally. So <laughs> welcome, Pod Daddy herself, uh, Christina Khan. Hello. I am, as always, honored to be here. Uh, thank you. And you know what? You're the first person who's also a patron to be on a bonus episode. Hey, How does hey, it hey. feel? It feels good. It feels a little like... um alternate dimension-y, you know, yeah, like I yeah. am both the podcaster and the podcasty. This is oh. the this is the upside down yeah. of the podcast world. Oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're so happy to have you, Tina, and we are Yes, talking about anyway, the Golden Compass film. Yeah, this movie that I was very excited to watch as a teen. <laughs> yeah. Is in fact the Golden Compass. Oh, you hadn't say the name. I hadn't yet. said the name yet, so I'll, <laughs> I'll just cut. I'll just cut you like spilling the name out of the intro. It'll be fine, <laughs> and I'll cut this part out, and this part, well, and this part too. I mean, the <laughs> title of the episode will probably be the Golden Compass, right? And then people yeah. have to click on it to listen to it, and it'll probably have a picture of the bear with like. Right. Like googly angry eyes or something like I don't know. I'll find some goofy thing to Photoshop into it. Um, so yeah, this movie is based on uh, a series of books that I absolutely adored as a child. They're the only books that in my youth I ever read more than once. 
I would read a book and I would put it down and I'd be like, oh, that's that's good for me. I don't need to reread that. I don't need to revisit it. Even Harry Potter, I never like read more than one time. Um, and uh, these books really stuck with me. They were a very formative like way that I feel like these books profoundly impacted how I saw the world and how I saw things like religion and authority and really Capital challenged a authority. Yeah, yeah, and really challenged those notions in a in a really I think important and special way. The name of the series is His Dark Materials. It was by Philip Pullman. The books are The Golden Compass, The Subtle Knife, and The Amber Spyglass. Woo! Dude, Philip Pullman, where are you? What are you doing? Yeah. What, what are you is doing going these days? on? <laughs> What's up, bro? I, I feel like they may have consulted with him on the HBO show. Hmm, yeah, maybe after having such a n- negative experience being consulted on the film, uh, which we are talking about today, that he just wandered off into obscurity and stayed there. Yeah. Do I want to do another game where I try to I try to summarize like I'm reading it off of IMDb? Why don't you just why don't you just read yours? Well, if we're gonna do both, then I'd rather just do the the reading. Okay, because we'll say we can do both, and you can, like, I can read it, you can take, or Tina, if you want to do it. In I a can... world <laughs> where your soul is your daemon. Um, you should just play the shitty uh, <laughs> the fucking intro. prologue, yeah, from the movie, because it explains every single plot twist from the book series in, like, up front in the Galadriel-esque, uh, like, prologue. Yeah. Every every single like yeah reveal that comes later on it it gave me the vibes of uh, the lightning thief where they just sort of just like pull out <sighs> the gods in the very beginning and they're having an argument about yeah. Poseidon's son and you're just like I mean that's supposed to come up later that's a fun reveal yet another film that can be added to the failed trilogy of the mid aughts graveyard. Yeah, 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 for sure. So basically, this is like, I, it's like the story is too big to describe, so you either have to like take 20 minutes or like miss so much. But it's basically like there's kidnappers and there's like a conspiracy and they be kidnapping children and like the children aren't nearly supervised enough. <laughs> scene that's the end of the movie <laughs> the whole <laughs> according to uh google the quick film synopsis is lyra balakwa lives in a parallel world in which human souls take the form of a lifelong animal companion called demons dark forces are at work in the girl's world and many children have been kidnapped by beings known as gobblers lyra vows to save her best friend roger after he disappears too she sets out with her demon, a tribe of seafarers, a witch, an ice bear, and a Texas airman to, on an open quest to rescue Roger and save her world. Okay, quick just interlude. Um, Zach, when you read these before the movie came out, before the TV show came out, how did you pronounce the main character's name? Lyra? Yeah, so you pronounced Ly- it like that from the beginning? Lyra Balakwa. Yeah, that's oh, how I would say I, it. I definitely read it in my head as Lyra. Lyra, interesting. I really honestly like Lyra better than That's Lyra. how the Italian currency is pronounced. Oh, yeah. Lyra. Um, and then, like, how did you pronounce, like, the... The, the, the creatures, yeah. the soul creatures. I, I did say Damon. Yeah, I did, it's, it's got... I did call them Damon. Yeah, it has the A-E in it. But, but in Palman's own like audiobooks that I have also listened to, uh, he calls them demons as well. I just wonder like why? Because demons 
I don't know if you know, have like a negative connotation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, considering Pullman's like uh, pretty pretty direct, like anti-religion, anti-authoritarian kind of view that he takes with mm-hmm. the books, I think it's very intentional because, gotcha. like, the whole book spoilers is about trying to figure out how to how, how to how to effectively split the demon from the human, and so therefore demons are negative. They're seen as like this this thing that the unclean dust it like channels through yeah like, it's so strange but it i mean when you're watching it it kind of feels like an arbitrary belief it's like why does mm-hmm. the church have this random belief about this like random thing that like maybe doesn't affect them and then you're like oh weird that's actually how religion works in our world too so i guess it's not <laughs> <Yeah>. that weird <laughs> you're just like oh you mean that the laws that they draw to hurt and oppress people are arbitrary huh how about that that's so weird mm-hmm. that's so and bizarre. like and like the oh. The hypocrisy of it is also really similar to organized religion in our world because it's like, yeah, we hate d- demons, but like, I have one, and no, you can't take it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Well, I am really interested, and I definitely want to break down more how like religion is criticized, specifically the Catholic Church in both the film and or in the book and how that was watered down but before we get into like pros cons of the film uh tina what was your experience with the book and the movie um i read the his dark materials series for the first time like a year ago um okay like last year yeah and um it's one of those where I was like, woo, I'm kind of glad I saved this one for adulthood because <laughs> I think that if I had read it as a child, um, much like The Lord of the Rings, I think I would have gotten frustrated and stopped because um, it does deal with some pretty big issues. But um, so then after that, I watched the TV series, which um, it has two out of three seasons out. I think season three is supposed to be next year sometime. Um, I haven't seen season two yet, but I really liked season one. It is quite good. Um, I I feel that the the TV ap- adaptation is exactly what a film adaptation should do. Um, mm-hmm. It it's really really faithful to the original text in tone sure. and in theme, and the things that it does expand upon are things that like I'm happy that they're expanding upon. They only add things that are artful that that help that help with the craft of it you know um and so yesterday was the first time i had ever seen the movie um mm. frankly i don't know if this is like a first I mean, y'all liked Brave Little Toaster. Like, I did not mind this movie. Um, no, and that's what I was going to say, too, is it It definitely was better than I remembered it being. Yes. Tina, I'm just going to say, uh, for my experience with this book and novel, ditto, except I read this, the, I have not read two and three, and I read this book a, like, couple months ago, finally after years of my our dear friend nice. Amanda saying like, you need to read this and I feel so bad. And Amanda, we love you. And I'm sorry it took a little <laughs> long to read it, but I'm glad I also saved till adulthood and she's probably going to hate me for this, but I also did not hate this movie. Yeah, don't ever apologize for like not getting to books. Soon <laughs> yeah. enough. Like there's so yeah, many yeah, yeah. out there. People are always trying to get you to read their favorite books. And now it's like with, with TV series, I, I forget which comedian I was watching, but they just had this really great bit where it's like, Oh yeah, no, just watch this show. What? You haven't seen lost watch all of lost. Why not? Why haven't you? Why, why haven't you committed a hundred hours of your fucking life to watching one piece of media right. for me? 
Um, but this does fall. There's a very, very small list of books that have film adaptations where I tell people you actually don't need to read the books. So many people in my life, I'm like, you don't need to read Lord of the Rings. Just watch the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Certain people, you know, my extremely literary people, I'm like, you should probably read them. But like this, for example, most people in my life um, who aren't like incredibly literary, I'd be like, dude, don't even worry about the books. Just watch the TV show because that's pretty much spot on. So here's my thesis statement about this film. One of my favorite things about the book series is that it is a children's book series that really trusts children. Um, It's artful. It's subtle. (laughs) Subtle. Um, Second book is called The Subtle. (laughs) knife um it deals it deals um, much like avatar it deals with really big issues um without ever talking down to its audience yeah and so the fact that the tv show is dark and artful i think really is the same tone as the books my main complaint about this movie is that it's for babies yeah it's a baby book. It's a baby movie. It explains everything so straightforward. Um, and it's just like tonally, like Sean kept being like, the music is really weird for like mm-hmm. the story that I know is happening here. Um, and stuff like that just made it geared toward a very young audience. Yeah. There was that yeah. scene where like they're about to find a half dead Billy Costa in a shed and like she's she's riding on the back of the bear and they're playing this whimsical, like happy go lucky music. Yeah. And you're just like, this is so this this clangs with what is about to happen. Yeah. They were trying. It rattles louder than York Berenson's uh, armor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they also, I think, with the music, they made it feel more magical than mm-hmm. eerie right. or ominous. And I think the color palette as well was incredibly like I call it Claire's Christmas because when I used to work at Claire's, <laughs> instead of green. And red, we would do pink and turquoise um, and, and, like, white, obviously, like, glitter. So, like, that to me is, like, the same color palette. Like Frozen. Yeah, exactly like Frozen, <laughs> yes. It's, it's important to keep in mind also that, like, this movie was a contemporary with Harry Potter, which was actively coming out at the time. And right, it really I think feels... this was the year Goblet of Fire came out, if I'm not mistaken. 2007. It really feels like they were trying to capitalize on that audience a little bit because there are certain scenes in this movie that straight up just give me Harry Potter vibes. Yeah. There's there's the scene where, like, they open up the hall and it literally looks like it could be the Great Hall set just, like, repainted. Yes. Because, yeah. Um, like, the animals and running around with the kiddos in the beginning. I will say this. I want to talk about really quick, like, Let's talk about like kind of sort of what we liked and then we'll get into sort of. So I want to talk about the casting because I thought the casting was really good. Mostly really, really good. Casting is also one of my uh, general pros. Um, So here's the thing. I I don't I I think that most of the casting choices were good. But like here's one thing that children don't value in a baby movie. And that's like incredibly star studded cast. Yes. And I felt that it was incredibly distracting at every turn to be like, is that fucking Kathy Bates like is that fucking <laughs> Ian McKellen like what the fuck are you doing here there yeah. was way too much talent for like the movie wasn't good enough for that much talent that's how I felt 
My mom was yeah. sitting down in the room for the last 10 minutes and she was like, Sam Elliott, what is he doing in this movie? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so like I do, I thought the casting was good, but like I did prefer that I don't recognize anyone in the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously the TV show has a lot more diverse casting. It's like, let's interpret mm-hmm. literally any character as a person of color. <laughs> yeah, which was, it was, it was smart. The, um, I think the headmaster of this college is a, is a black man in the HBO special. Yes, man. Um, what's his face? Um, uh, Fader Karam. Uh, yes, or, and or Lord Fa. Uh, I get them confused. I do. Um, yeah. and the bad guy. I forget his name. Lord Azriel. No, no. He. I wouldn't call him a bad guy. He's complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, the shitty guy. I'll find him. I just forget his name because I don't think he. It doesn't matter. Oh, I don't guy think he was the, even in the this fucking with, one. The guy with the beetle demon. <sighs> From I the just, Magisterium? I just like, there, there is, that's the thing, there is no, like, super bad person yeah. from the Mysterium, or the Magisterium. The, the, like, Nicole Kidman is the closest thing we get to a Mrs. antagonist in, in the, Mrs. Coulter I'm, in this movie. So the, the character I'm thinking of is in the books, and then the the TV show really uh, pumps up his role. Uh-huh. Um, fucking A, just like, just give me one second, since I... <laughs> I did love Nicole Kidman in this role. Yes, and her outfits were everything. Yeah, and like out of all of the many accents I've heard her do, a posh British accent was my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a little, well, in effect, you could describe Australians as like a little posh British accent. Oh, I I think they're like hillbilly British accents. Yeah, yeah. Um, The character that I was thinking of is Lord Boreal. Okay. Ah, who gets? Okay. He's like not even in this one, so it doesn't matter because he's only. Is he really the one that poisons two. the decanter, or is is that a different guy altogether? I don't know what that is. What? And that he poisons the decanter for Lord Asriel yes. in the beginning. Yes, I heard voices, and I was like, "Does the decanter have a voice?" <laughs> um, I don't remember genuinely. Um, um, well, oh yeah, does he is... voice the decanter like like it's a like Beauty and the Beast situation? Yes, or... he marries Mrs. Potts. <laughs> That is actually something that, while yes, I agree that the uh, dump in the beginning, because my favorite cast, my favorite cast character was uh, Ava Green as Serafina Pakala. She's like a badass, sexy witch and uh, reminds me so much of Pen- her role in Penny Dreadful. But anyways, um, I think that the narration that she does in the beginning is definitely like, a exposition dump yeah, and gives extra. out like a ton of stuff like the other worlds thing and dust like little too extra not as much as we get from katara in the last airbender movie and also um to be fair in like the first two chapters of the book we do get an exposition dump from lord uh lord asriel we just as readers none of it makes sense like they mentioned uh uh, the Panzerbjorn and the bears of Solvbar, Solvbar, S- yeah, S- yeah, 
So it's like we get the same dump. It's just not as detailed. It doesn't mention alternate worlds, but that was a criticism of the actual book that I did have. Uh, I think that like for the first half of the movie, pretty much every single line was exposition dump. Like th- yeah. that's what I mean when it's for babies, because babies aren't going to notice your character being like, well, Pan, you know that we've lived here all my life and it was because my parents <laughs> abandoned me when I was a child and there was a flood and now I don't know and only my uncle comes and you know obviously you're my daemon which means you're a physical representation of my soul why why pan you know that in this world daemons humans don't have don't not have daemons and if any human didn't have a daemon it would be terrifying it's like like literally every line is like that and like i think that so many of my complaints about this other than it's for babies is my main complaint and my like second complaint that like and, and those these two complaints together really cover it all. My second complaint is that like it's not a TV show. And I think yeah. that we have all really come to terms with the fact that there is not enough room in a film to develop a whole new world yeah. unless no. you're going to go full Peter Jackson on that shit. <laughs> Take 4 hours, which no one wants that. Yeah. No, unless you are Peter Jackson. So the reason you have to either spend an entire runtime on the characters or on the world, you don't get to decide. Right. You don't get to try to mix the two. There's not enough time. And so the reason that every line was so stuffed full of exposition is because they didn't have enough time to do anything. They didn't have enough time to establish any relationships. They didn't have enough time to let the reader do any viewer do any thinking. Like that's such an yeah. important part yeah. of the book series is that it leaves so much room for the reader to be like wondering and figuring stuff out it just kept handing like spoon feeding you like the next plot point and um it just uh, the pacing ended up being so weird because of that yeah one thing i wanted to call out before we get into the major changes in the second half which i definitely want to spend a good chunk of time talking about is i honestly the first three episodes of the tv show i felt that the the girl that they got to play lyra was a little stiff I, I was struggling to see her, to see Lyra in her because I felt like she didn't, she didn't really captivate any of the scenes that she was in, in the intro. I thought that Dakota Blue Richards did a really good job in this movie from the get go to like the way that she lies to the, to the Egyptian kids in that like alleyway scene, mm-hmm. I thought was so on point for Lyra. She's like a, a like a spitfire, like lies from the hip. Like, and, and crushes that role, like critical roles, all of her fucking, her, her lies. She, she was more animated in a way that I thought worked better for me. I like Lyra's casting a lot. I do too. Um, I, I definitely think they're two different interpretations of the same character. And I think mm-hmm. that this Lyra would be extremely out of place in the TV show, which has That's a much very di- different tone. I mm-hmm. think that the, whoever plays her in the TV show is like, um, Uh, it's subtle. Like the whole rest of the story is like so much more subtle, but I did love Dakota Blue Richards uh, interpretation of this character. Uh, And I will say that that the actress that plays her in the TV series, she certainly finds her footing. And by the end of season one, I, I love her as Lyra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do want to, I do want to say like, cause we, if we back up a little bit to when we were describing like, oh, we do not have a ton of time to like establish a brand new world and like a two hour movie, unless you do it like Peter Jackson, it is worth mentioning that New Line Cinema is the studio that produced this film and they immediately bought the rights to the entire His Dark Mysterials series following the success of Lord of the Rings. And actually the film's like director, Chris um, Weitz did 
shadow and spend time on the set of other Peter Jackson films to try and like figure out how to not only direct a big budget film, but also to like translate a trilogy and trying to replicate the prep, the success of Lord of the Rings, which he later cites in interviews as one of like the pressures that ultimately like he think like led to the failure that because the first film did not meet the same expectations of New Line Cinema had for the fellowship, it was slashed. They didn't do the other two films. How could it? How could right. it possibly right? have met the same standards yeah. when this is a movie for babies? Like, <laughs> if yeah. they had tried matching the tone of Lord of the Rings. Which they actually tried to. Like, so when they beginning, when they were shocking. writing the script, there were th- several versions of the script that were written, one of which was by the, by the director. And one of the f- scripts that was written was, like, over three hours um and they like chucked it and like even there were scenes that were going to be in like you know the cocktail party at mrs Coulter's and just the whole ending which we'll get to it they just decided in the end for a lot of reasons to get it down to under two hours that's bonkers yeah. right yeah. it's just like how like m night Shyamalan, like he had that really long script for Avatar, and he's just like, nope, my movies are an hour and a half long. This one needs to be an oh, hour and a half long. What the fuck ever? I, I won't accept otherwise. And it's like, okay, but that's not the story you're telling, and that's not the like type of movie that you're making Yeah, now. this isn't the fucking village, dude. And no. if and if you're not going oh, to rise to the occasion of your of the film that you are being trusted with, then sit the fuck down and let someone else give it a yeah, try. Yeah, no, no. Uh, anyway, let's jump right into uh, the ending of this movie is whack, y'all. Why the <laughs> fuck did they switch it around? Yeah, I have no idea why that is because the case either. At first, I went okay. So in the books, it's like all this build up. We're going north, and then like Lyra goes. She gets caught by the gobblers and, like, goes to their zone. And then she escapes and she goes to Bolvangar where the bears are. And that's, like, Uh where the book ends is at Bolvangar. But in this movie, they go to Bolvangar first. And then she ends Mm -hmm. up at this, like, uh, institute by the where the gobblers are. And And so at first when we went straight to Bolvangar, I was like, I guess they didn't have any fucking time for the whole, like, gobblers plot. But then we went there anyway. What the fuck? So yeah, it didn't make any. It was like yeah, we're 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 getting like she gets kidnapped, and then literally it's almost like a bait and switch because it feels like she gets kidnapped, and you're like, okay, she gets kidnapped. They're gonna pull the thing over, and she's gonna be at Boldinger, and we're we're on we're on, on we're on pace, and then they pull the her head off, and it's just like, oh, we're at the we're at Svalbard, and I remember Alex being like, what? <laughs> It's like, excuse me? Did I get the yeah. names backwards? Bolvingar uh, is the name of the, the gobbler's the hideout. Institute. Svalbard. And Svalbard, Svalbard is, is the, the city of the bears. Forgive me. <laughs> it's okay. You're fine. But yeah, I think so. Not only is it babies, but like I think that they let on... By letting on too too early on the film with some things, like, because I did check, like, so when in the first conversation with Lyra and Mrs. Coulter at Jordan, and she gets all captivated, in the actual book, she does let on that she does know Lord Asriel and works for the Royal Arctic Institute and talks about her time in the North and really captivates Lyra. What she doesn't divulge is the whole side plot with the... With Ragnar wanting a demon. 
Yeah, like the the uh, the bear king that overthrew uh, and became, and he's like made his core like way too more like human like. So that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say that like this everything is spoon fed to you. It's like I'm gonna mm-hmm. say two things to you. One is gonna make you love me, and two is gonna be crucial information you're gonna <laughs> need later. Yeah, 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 this will be on the test. Yes, yeah. exactly. They completely subvert and like how by taking out the cocktail party, which there was an expedition dump there. They did in like have Lyra in the book meet an entirely random character from like either the Arctic Institute or someone on the like oblation board where she learns Lord Azrael has been kidnapped and that they are kidnapping children. And Miss Coulter runs like this oblation board. Like she was the one that set it up. So there is a huge expedition dump, but by cutting out that piece and having just Lyra straight up like find in like her trash can in her office, like this whole list of children with her signature at the bottom being like, yep, there's your two friends. They were kidnapped. And just like nothing about Lord Azriel, her primary motivation, like which is getting to her father and also like knowing he was kidnapped and being held by the bears, like that's just a whole motivation for Lyra's character that's completely cut out of the film. Yeah, I definitely um it definitely was like almost like a scavenger hunt, you know? Yeah. Just like, okay, yeah. here's just, a clue. It's like Lord Asriel is supposed to be taken to Svalbard. That's why when she goes to Svalbard, she has to solve Yurik's problem before she can get to Lord Asriel, right. which is her final goal. But in this movie, it's like, okay, I went to Svalbard, I did the Svalbard thing, now we've got to go to Bolvingar, and then somehow awkwardly get to Lord Asriel, so he's got to be, like, somewhere else. Yeah. Like, Coulter yeah. mentions, like, oh, yes, he was he had bribed his captors, and it's like, okay, who the fuck are his captors if they're not, if it's not the Ice Bears? Yeah. And, if it, and also, is my biggest concern is, like, Yorick is now king of the Ice Bears before the battle at Bolvingar, and he at no point was like, hey, maybe I should like take a half dozen or so of these yeah, fucking like, bears with me. Yeah, like, I have bears. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have an army that I could bring with me <laughs> to make this peanuts. Yeah, and so because of this, I feel like um, in the book, in the TV show, when they're like going, in, they're in the north, it's like the north of like fucking uh-huh. Winterfell or whatever. It's like, okay, yeah. at least we're like going somewhere, but like the change in the film led to me feeling at the end that they were just like wandering into the blizzard. Yeah. They're like, well, yeah. Let's yeah. go find daddy. Yeah, like that's there he is. There's no like through line between Svalbard and and Lord Asriel. It's almost like he gets abducted outside of Svalbard and then they take him somewhere else. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. So what reasoning can like what reasoning could there be for this change? So I think that they thought that Maybe we we should end the movie on a big battle with lots of people. And so we, we the battle at Bolvingar is a more cinematically exciting thing, which I think is a little silly because the the bears the, the, bear the duel of the bears is, the yeah. other bears yeah. heart out. It makes such a better <laughs> Come climax. On. When yeah. I read that so that was like the first moment in the books where I was like Oh Whoa. my god, this is a shit. big kid book. Yeah. This is a big kid book. This guy <laughs> just ripped this other dude's heart out. Just and ripped it, it right out and fucking and ate it. Do you know that line from uh, Much Ado About Nothing where she's like, I would eat his heart in the marketplace? Yes! <laughs> Love it. But I mean, it's still a little brutal in the movie. Like when he rips his jaw off yes. and then just like 
literally but still the heart yeah why do that in a show in a movie for babies it was less grotesque in the tv show Mm -hmm. but it's like also um what i don't what i don't like is it feels like we meet yurik at um what's that town remember the name of the town Tholmond or something. I just remember like it's that. in Nor- Trolland. Norway. It's like Trolland or something yeah. like that. Like we meet, we meet Yorick there, and then it feels like it's like ten minutes later, and we're already resolving his arc. Like yeah. the reason that that it works to put it after Bolmingar is we get a little more time with Yorick. We get to know his struggle. We get to know why he's worth like doing all this shit for. Right, and at at. Oh my god, Dante, you're being too much. They have to, like, um, speed run his endearment to Lyra. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, is, like, when Lyra at, oh my god, I just keep getting, at the bear place, is like, oh, Yorick, <laughs> you came for me, and I love you. It's like, yeah. okay, well, you've had, like, no interactions, and he's, like, a grown man. But after he, like, liber- helps to liberate them from their fucking, like, prison, it's like, okay, that's, like, a pretty good yeah. reason yeah. to be attached to someone and, like, to yeah. trust him. It just I didn't think make any sense. It makes sense why he has an attachment to her because he speaks in like very contractual terms and yeah. is like He's also You got my loyal. armor back, so I follow you now. That I was like- that was almost a direct quote, Alex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like you got me my armor, so I will follow you until I am dead or you have a victory. Yeah, it's like okay, very subtle, very very cool. they're very uh like hang on, let me just get out of the way of this bludgeoning right. tool called the Right plot. on the bare nose. So, um, so Yorick Burnison is like one person who I who I wish had been cast differently. Like Ian McKellen is never not he's either Ian McKellen or he's Gandalf. Like you he I, he wasn't yeah. appropriate. He made the bear feel frail to me. Um yeah. his voice is like is like an old man's voice and yeah. I just um I didn't like it. I felt it was extremely distracting. What what happened to your armor, Yurik? Hang on, let me just tell you the whole story of what <laughs> happened to my armor. A story that easily, you know, Sam Elliott could have told you on the way here. To the point where he she Yalira is riding on Yurik's back who Bolvengar after they've liberated uh, Svalbard and like put Yorick on the throne like and they have this entire chasm that just like falls and Yorick is not able to cross the bridge uh, A I was totally expecting a Balrog an ice Balrog <laughs> to just come out yeah. of the chasm can and, we like- talk for a brief second about <laughs> this This like Yorick starts to cross this like ice bridge and then he realizes he starts to crack and he like backs off of it and he's like you must go lyra and like lyra goes over this bridge and at one point it's literally like a foot across like dude my dude you saw the whole length of this bridge before you attempted it did you really think you were gonna get across like let's be real twinkle toes yeah yeah (laughs) also the fact that lyra was he was just like stay there i'm gonna go get help and she's like peace (laughs) yeah what the fuck? Uh, I would have told like no. That was that was really dumb. The entire thing about her almost getting intersized, I guess, and like be- kidnapping her friends, like and starting a coup inside Balvengar. Yeah, it was. It's just it could have all been avoided if she just waited for the Egyptian. But yeah, <laughs> because, Thorsby. because they rearranged these pieces without any 
thought or consideration to how they fit together. Like, Lyra gets to Bolvingar, and we're just like, oh shit, that's right, she was supposed to get kidnapped. Well, I guess she'll just fucking walk in the front door. Right? Well, that's yes. just the decision we're going to make here. That's... So let's talk briefly about, because obviously the true end of this book is uh, quite dark indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger dies at the hand of Lord Azrael and uh, opens a basically gate to another world. And we are completely robbed of this scene. I was going to say, I, I have to admit that I was so checked out at this point in the movie that I actually don't even remember if that happened. Is that because it didn't? <laughs> it did not happen. Okay, cool. It's literally, we Whew. like we get rescued from from Bolvingar. They're in the they're in um, Scoresby's sky ship, and like Lyra says, some like inspirational quote to Roger and they look off into the distance and then the fucking credits roll and you're just like yeah. Roger is about is like an hour away from getting murdered and like yeah. this just doesn't work at all it's, and um, so they like anti-boromir'd this scene it's like it's like instead of just getting his death out of the way they're like let's yeah. draw this out actually it's like what like what is there is there logic that like you can't end a like movie for babies on like a, a child murder? That's exactly <laughs> what their logic was. I because, mean, and like, it's true, and this isn't a story for babies, and that's why they literally yeah. there was no way to produce the two sequels for this audience. Right. There was literally like, no way to do it. Well, yeah. they, they have to at some point be like, okay, well, let's talk about the subtle knife. We're gonna open the movie on child murder. Like if there's yeah. if there's one thing you can't end a movie on, it's child murder. And there's one thing you definitely can't start a movie on, <laughs> it's child murder. I wonder like, if they were just gonna... like, let's just end it here. We're not getting a sequel. Like, let's just wrap it up. Yeah, well, that's the whole problem is because they had the rights from the beginning, I don't think it ever crossed the production team's mind as a scenario that we're not just not going to get the other two or three movies made, just like every other failed trilogy of this period. It could not function as a standalone film. But a literal quote from the director from after the movie was released about the film's ending, he said, quote, in order to provide the most promising conclusion to the first film and the best possible beginning to the second, what end quote was their uh, decision. And there was also tremendous marketing pressure to create an upbeat ending. God, I'm just, I'm reminded of like that clip from Brian David Gilbert describing Kingdom Hearts where he's like, yeah, chapter section 7.6 of the hero's journey. You Norda boy. Don't worry, I'll splice that in. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> My final complaint about this movie is that I really enjoyed Lin-Manuel Miranda in the TV show as the Texan. And I love, obviously, the interpretation that a Texan is not inherently a white person. I thought Sam Elliott's performance was really lame. He was just like any dude who's like vaguely from Texas. But I thought Lin-Manuel <laughs> Miranda was fucking awesome. So... Um, that was my second, like, uh, casting issue. Also, Kathy Bates had one line. Sorry. It, it, there was no reason for her to be here. Right. Yeah. No. Like, when we saw, I did not catch on that Kathy Bates was Hector. Why would you? And it literally, at the end, it's like, Kathy Bates. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Was she, like, <laughs> they even had to put as Hector underneath because she had one line and no one would have, like, if you just saw like, Kathy Bates, you would have been like, where the fuck? Kathy Beats in this movie. <laughs> so apparently they made a super, super generic, like really fucking bad and middle of the road video game uh, based on this movie. Like they 
always used to do back in the day. Is yeah, like GameCube. Really, I bet it was on GameCube. Yeah, you'd get a you'd get a movie, and then like within a month of that movie coming out, regardless of how it did at the box office, you'd have some super generic game that roughly followed the plot of the movie. Okay, but well, can two- I just say that the SpongeBob movie video game on GameCube is one of my favorite games of all time? <laughs> there are rare exceptions to the rule, and that is certainly one of them. The two points that I wanted to say though was because this game was being made parallel to the movie. We can see we can see certain behind the curtain things. First of all, the in the in the video game, she goes to Balbinger first, and then she goes to the 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 bear uh, city after mm-hmm. in order in the correct order. And you can see like a minute or two of the cut ending that they show a clip of in the end of this game where Roger Whoa. dies. So they they shot that, they had it all ready to go, and then they just, I guess, cut it from the final release of the film, which is so weird to me. Uh, well, anyway, let's let's get some final thoughts on the table here and uh and clip and ship this bad boy out. I am gonna share my biggest criticism for the film for last and um and then on a high note, as I guess they attempted to do with this film, and that is the whole watered down plot line uh with the magisterium and the church and the role of demons and their motivations for intercising children and of course like it actually like it plays out my real life because we talk about on the podcast all the time about you know guests who weren't able to read harry potter or you know the percy jackson books or what have you but for me like as growing up catholic i was never prevented from reading any type of books that were questioning of my faith except for this one because this book was so quote anti-catholic that was like the one book that like made it into like a homily at my pastor's church Mm -hmm. and it was that pushback from the church that really forced the director to water down the film and was philip pullman and like the biggest fans of the book overall criticism and it's why the magisterium was like less of a religious body and more of just like an authoritarian body just white dudes in robes (laughs) yeah it just was like some any type of religious organization very versus very explicitly the the catholic church when there when there's this whole thing of is like the body and or is the eucharist at Mm -hmm. mass like just bread and wine or is it really the blood of and body of christ which catholics legitimately believe it is very similar to this whole thing about dust and alternate worlds and being good because it like think about it if someone has to be the whole point is like you gotta be good in this life so you can be judged in the next and it's like well what's the whole point if we like can just go off into all these other worlds and live like whatever type of fucking life we want and so like yeah i this was some illuminati shit with like the catholic Mm -hmm. church coming in and pulling it all out and i think it was the ultimate detriment but at any rate i still did not hate this movie and my final positive thought on it was that um you know it was amazing with the visual effects and tina i know you said some of it was distracting but from like a D nerd like slash world building nerd perspective i thought the film was beautiful like the airships and the way that they portrayed like modern london and like these huge observatories everywhere like leaning into that steampunk like victorian aesthetic the um, technology I, of like the gyroscopic like things that flipped around and shit were really cool all the technology really, looked really i neat. was fucking here for it and i think that was the best example in this 
film of showing, not telling. Like, they didn't have to explain, like, all of, like, where this film was set or the time period. It just, like, it just was. And they did win an Oscar for Best Visual Effects. And that's probably the biggest accolades that this film received. Uh, I will be really brief with my uh, thoughts here. I really thought that, like, the first 60% or so of this movie, like, really wasn't that bad. It could have been a lot worse. It's like you said, Tina, where its biggest, most damning uh, thing is that it's for babies. And no matter how you look at it, it it will, like, inevitably clang with the ending that it needed to have to set itself up for the sequels because it it basically presented itself for babies. But I thought a lot of the casting was strong. I thought Nicole Kidman made as good of a Mrs. Coulter as the woman does in the, in the modern HBO show. Mm-hmm. I thought that Dakota Blue, Dakota Blue Richards was a revelation. I thought she was really, really good. Um, That's who plays Lyra for mm-hmm. people that are curious. Yes. Uh, and I thought that overall, like, like, like Alex said, the effects were next level. The idea of having that many CG animals just running around at all times in a movie was pretty extremely hard at the time that this was made. Uh, it was not an easy feat by any means. And, and they looked pretty good. And they looked pretty good. I think it, they hold up like reasonably well. Yeah, there's a couple of moments where I'm like, this is not working uh-huh. very well. But, but, but really the one where I was like, ugh, is when um, Lyra's about to go into that cabin and Pan like throws himself at her. And I'm like, she's not even like <laughs> holding him. <laughs> There's a scene where, like, one of the people at one of the gobblers at the Magisterium is holding Pan in her yeah. hands, and it's clear that she has nothing in her yeah, hands. Yeah, it's just... I think I think that as long as the animals are like physically separated from the humans, it, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot better. It works. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in in essence, uh, you know, it was a decent movie. It was a pretty poor adaptation, and. Uh, it was one of those refrigerator movies. This is the term that I heard recently where like you walk away, you walk out of the theater going like, that was cool. All right. Yeah, I liked that. And then later on, you're sitting at the theater, you're sitting at the refrigerator and you're going, but why did they cut out that scene? And like, why did this happen this way? And that just, and it's, I don't know. Like the same thing happened with me with, uh, with, with um, Pacific Rim where I walked out of Pacific Rim going like, fuck yeah, that was awesome. The fucking robot smashed the alien with the, with the with the oil tanker, it was so cool. And then, like, I was sitting in front of the fridge, and I was going, "So, why did they build a whole wall around <laughs> all of it when, like, they knew where the creatures come from? Couldn't they have just built the base like right outside of the hole? And and why why did they have to cover all this crap? Like, it just it kind of falls apart upon closer inspection, mm-hmm. and that's the main main problem with it. Yeah. What are your, what are your final thoughts here, Tina? Um. Yeah, my thesis statement is wrong audience, wrong medium. Um. Yeah. Which. It's only two things, but it's kind of everything. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I think that if I had only read The Golden Compass and I had only seen this film adaptation, I would be, like, relieved. You know, I'd be like, cool, they could have really fucked that up and it, like... You know, it seems pretty, pretty good. Um, But like knowing where the series has to go, um, Mm -hmm. like this was just a huge miss on like the tone. And swing and a miss. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, there was there's literally zero way to see this plot to its completion with the tone set by this film. It's like, hey, uh, do we do we have to kill the kid? And then, like you have later to kill on, the, so many kids. Actually. And then later on, they're like flipping through the other two books, and they're going, "Oh, oh, oh my, oh, oh, oh dear." Yeah, the oh, themes dear. get serious. The themes yeah. get so fucking serious, and like there is a lot, 
a lot, a lot of mortal peril and like children just like doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. And there is so much critique of the church that like there was just no, there was no way. And if Harry Potter can kill a kid, so can you. <laughs> that they didn't do that until at least the third, the, the fourth film. They yeah. attempted in the second, but yeah. So, oh, at, so just one last thing. <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. so I had heard really bad things about this movie, and like in the end, I was like not as disappointed as I had Same. set myself up to be. Sure. So, do we wish this film didn't exist? No. Did we just wish that? We were in the alt dimension multiverse version of this film where it totally rocked. Yeah, we do. Yeah. My my childhood <laughs> self wished this film didn't exist because uh, its tonal inconsistencies are largely what didn't get the other two movies made. And right. I wanted to see my whole my whole scene. I wanted this to be like my Harry Potter. Like people people would be like, "Oh wow, did you see the Historic Materials trilogy? It's really good movies." And I'd be like, "Man, I read those before. They were cool." <laughs> But yeah. I didn't get that. I didn't get that satisfaction. I think the fact that the show exists now and is yeah. doing such a good job um, does make me be like, this yes. movie doesn't really need to exist. exist. There you go. There you go. Well, that's been our show, folks. Thank you for all of our Patreon donors. You included, Christina. We love all of you. <laughs> and we can't wait to see y'all uh, next month. So... Um, with that, let's all end on the outro credits by giving our favorite Avatar characters demons. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Let's let's start with... Um, I mean, Aang's demon would be Momo. Yes, Aang's demon would be a lemur. I fully support that. I think Sokka's demon would be a wolf. Oh, something interesting. Okay, so something that they talk about, um, I think, way more in the His Dark Materials book series is like if you're if you're like a like a seafaring dude, your daemon is probably going to be like a marine animal, and then you like yeah. have yeah. to you have to live on the sea. So yeah, for there's sure, a fisherman. In the story that, like, his his demon turns into a dolphin. And yeah. He's like, well, I guess I'm never leaving the boat. Right. So for sure, Aang's da- demon would have to fly because you can only go, yeah. like, 50 feet from your demon before it starts to hurt or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a flying lemur makes sense. I think – I don't necessarily think that Katara or Sokka's demon would inherently have been a water uh, creature. I think that um, – they're dead. Yeah, Sokka, yeah, Kodas would have been. Um, but I'm going to go with Iroh, who I'm going to say is a lion. Or an elephant. Can't. can't. An elephant lion. Elephant yeah, lion. Because totally. they're, they're combination animals. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Like, except for the Earth King's demon is just Bosco. Just <laughs> That's so weird. Oh. <laughs> it's so weird. It's just a bear. All right. Uh, All I'm, right. This is- I'm Zach. I'm Alex. I'm Christina. And, and this, this has been it. There Is No Pod in Bossing Say. We'll see y'all next month. Bye. Bye. Two lovers forbidden from one another. A war divides their people. And a mountain divides them apart. They built a path to be together. Yeah, and I forget the next couple of lines, but... That movie sucked. I kind of liked it. Movie Night Crew Network.